If you have your Bibles, we're in Acts chapter 15. You can find that. We'll be in verses 1 through 21 today. Uh, I'm sure all of us, at some point, we've had something uh, that we, we just really wanted to be a part of, right? Maybe it was a friend group at school growing up, uh, or, or perhaps now at work, uh, or, or some other group or organization that you just very much wanted to be a part of. And, and so you found out, like, okay, here's the, here's the process, here's how I, I get in, and, and they decide who gets to be a part of that group. And maybe it was a sports team, right? So you, you trained, uh, you, you worked out, you had uh, these, these drills that you were doing, maybe you were meeting with someone that used to, used to coach that sport to get ready for the trout, or um, maybe it's a musician. You, uh, you're in band or, or maybe choir. There's a choir ensemble uh, that, that you wanted to be a part of, and you worked really hard, and you were taking private voice lessons, and you're preparing this piece for your audition. Uh, or, or for others, maybe it's a program, uh, a school that you want to get into. If you go and talk to at least some high schoolers, maybe even some middle schoolers, uh, there are some that have known for years exactly what they want to do, or at least what they think they want to do. Uh, and the exact, the exact school that they hope to get into, they know the GPA that they need, they know the test scores that they need, they have a resume just full of extracurricular activities and, and leadership and, and volunteer roles that, that they've been in, and, and yet they still wonder, will this be enough to get me in? And then they, uh, they fill out the application, and, and they just they hope. That, that, that their application somehow stands out. I found an essay uh, written by a uh, young man back in 1994 that was applying to NYU. Uh, and and this, the question on the application was, are there any significant experiences you've had or accomplishments that have helped divine, define you as a person? And this is what he wrote. He said, I'm a dynamic figure, often seen scaling walls and crushing ice. I've been known to remodel train stations on my lunch breaks, making them more efficient in the area of heat retention. I write award-winning operas. I manage time efficiently. Occasionally, I tread water for three days in a row. I woo women with my sensuous and godlike trombone playing. I can pilot bicycles up severe inclines with unflagging speed. And I cook 30-minute brownies in 20 minutes. I'm an expert in stucco, a veteran of love, and an outlaw in Peru. Using only, I like that one too, using only a hoe and a large glass of water, I once single-handedly defended a small village in the Amazon basin from a horde of ferocious army ants. I play bluegrass cello. I'm the subject of numerous documentaries. When I'm bored, I build large suspension bridges in my yard. I enjoy urban hang gliding. On Wednesdays after school, I repair electrical appliances free of charge. I'm an abstract artist, a concrete analyst, and a ruthless bookie. Critics worldwide swoon over my original line of corduroy evening wear. <laughs> That's my favorite. I don't perspire. I'm a private citizen, yet I receive fan mail. Last summer, I toured New Jersey with a traveling centrifugal force demonstration. My deft floral arrangements have earned me fame in international botany circles, and children trust me. I can hurl tennis rackets at small moving objects with deadly accuracy. 
I once read Paradise Lost, Moby Dick, and David Copperfield in one day and still had time to refurbish an entire dining room that evening. I performed several covert operations for the CIA. I sleep once a week, and when I do, I sleep in a chair. While on vacation in Canada, I successfully negotiated with a group of terrorists who had seized a small bakery. The laws of physics do not apply to me. I balance, I weave, I dodge, I frolic, and my bills are all paid on time. On weekends, to let off steam, I participate in full contact origami. Years ago, I discovered the meaning of life, but I forgot to write it down. I have extraordinary, uh, I've made extraordinary four-course meals using only a moulie and a toaster oven. I breed prize-winning clams. I've won bullfights in San Juan, cliff diving competitions in Sri Lanka, and spelling bees at the Kremlin. I've played Hamlet, I've performed open heart surgery, and I've spoken with Elvis, but I've not yet gone to college. That guy got in. <laughs> and as important as college is, for some careers, uh, today we're asking a, a far more important question with e eternal ramifications, not, not, just, not just your career even into retirement, but for eternity. The question this passage asks today is how can we belong to God's kingdom? And it's a question that, is, that just rings through the book of Acts. What must we do to be saved? So that's what we're looking at today in verses 1 through 21. And then next week, we'll finish off the chapter that, that asks a, a different question, uh, asking what must we leave behind when we come to Jesus? So last week, if, if you were with us and, and forgot, or if you weren't with us, uh, Paul and Barnabas, they were gathered with the church in Antioch, uh, sharing uh, a report of their missions trip. And, and it's, it's one of those times that the church is just celebrating together. Right, hearing all that God had done. Um, uh, so we come to 15.1. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after, they had, after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a, a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. And, and all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Saul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. 
After they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets, uh, the prophets agree, just as it is written, after this I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord. And all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read in every Sabbath in the synagogues. So this comes off the heels of chapter 14, this great report to the church of Antioch, and then chapter 15 starts off with but. It's, it's another attack on the early church. It's an attack on the gospel. These Jewish men came down from Judea and were teaching that the Gentiles needed to be circumcised in order to be saved. And we look, we look at this after the Christian church has been around nearly 2,000 years, and to us, it's clear that this is not right. This is a false teaching, but this was not so easily discerned by everyone in the early church back then. The Jewish men agreed that salvation was by grace, but what they were making it was grace plus. Grace plus circumcision. Grace plus the law. In verse 2, Paul and Barnabas, they were having none of that. And Luke writes, um, in a way that's funny to me, maybe it's funny to you as well, he, he keeps saying things like this, that there was no small dissension, meaning that, no, this was actually a really big dissension. This was a heated debate, right? There were voices that were getting louder and louder, probably. Um, maybe, maybe there's some veins popping out of necks and foreheads as the two sides were being argued because there was a division. There were, there were two distinct uh, uh, ideas about this. And it was decided that Paul and Barnabas and, and some others were uh, appointed to go up uh, to Jerusalem to speak with the apostles and the elders about this. And, and, and just a quick little side note, and I, I know I keep doing this through Acts, I just feel like there's so many things that we don't get to talk about, but here, here's one. Um, there are benefits and there are challenges to being a community church. If you don't know, uh, we're not a part of a denomination. And, and there are some great things about that, right? That, that does give us um, some freedom. We, we certainly uh, have autonomy, but, but there's also some ways that we lack support. Um, we don't have governing structures uh, above us that are looking out for us and that are supporting us. And, and so we find different ways uh, to, to get that support. So I, I meet with some pastors uh, now once a week uh, to pray for an hour together. And, and we, we certainly bounce things off of each other. And then every other week, uh, I've got this uh, pastor that's mentoring me. He's, he's getting close to retirement now. Um, and, and we talk about all, all kinds of things. Um, just about a year ago, our elder 
team, as we were considering uh, this associate pastor position, we were like, man, we, we, just, we want someone that's not a part of our church to help us think through some of these things. So we, we contacted a group, some of you are pro- probably familiar with, Nine Marks, to see if they would have someone that would consult with us, and, and they didn't have anybody that could do that. So they, they got us connected to another church, though, and, and we talked to them, and um, they asked us all kinds of just great questions, like really uh, brothers in Christ just wanting to help us figure this out. They even, uh, they had someone that came, looked at all of our finances, right, to, to tell us if, if we were crazy or not to, to try and move forward. This So, so there are ways that, that we can get some of that support as, as a community church. Um, but as I was reading this, I was like, man, one thing I loved about uh, being a part of a denomination, my last two churches were, was uh, specifically my last one, our, our, our regional supervisor. He was, he was basically a pastor to the pastors in our region, uh, Rick Weber. Uh, he, he was great. He, he was invested in our church. He, he helped us anytime we needed help. And, and he could because that, that was his job. He wasn't busy uh, you know, shepherding his own church. He was trying to, he was trying to shepherd the, the pastors of, of all these churches in, in, in this region of our denomination. So I'm saying all this, we're not joining a denomination. If you think this is like a me greasing the wheels for that. Like if someone calls me up and says, hey, you want to join our denomination? I will say wrong number and hang up if you want. Um, but as I was just reading about this, I was like, man, there, there, we, we see some good here in, in church organizational structure um, that, that, that they could take this, this question, right? And, and they could go uh, to, uh, to the leaders, to the, to the apostles, to the elders of, of the church in Jerusalem. All these churches could gather together and talk through this because this is a big issue that they're wrestling with here, right? This isn't some small theological point that the church can just agree to disagree on. There's a ton of those. This is not one of them, right? This is a matter of truth. So they're, they're sent on their way, and, and Paul and Barnabas on the way with the others. They're, they're telling these brothers and sisters um, in, in these different communities, uh, they're telling them about the Gentiles getting saved on, on their missions trip through all those different cities, right? And they're, they're rejoicing as they hear that God is drawing more and more people to himself and specifically drawing the nations to himself. So they arrive in Jerusalem, they gather with the leadership, they gather with the church, it sounds like, and I'm sure um, they, they told some of the stories that, that they just told to the church in Antioch back in chapter 14, and maybe, uh, maybe similar stories, but maybe some different ones than they told on the way up to Jerusalem. But one point that, that they made clear, and Luke is just, he makes it clear all throughout Acts, is this is God's doing. Right? Remember, this is, this is Jesus continuing to do his work through his church. Look at verse 5. It says, some believers who belong to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it's necessary that they get circumcised, right? It's necessary that they, they keep the law of Moses. So an observation that, that just jumps out of that verse at me is these are believers that were Pharisees, right? From what Luke tells us here, right? These, these Pharisees are, are believers. So I take that to mean that they, these are men that genuinely came to believe in Christ. They, they trusted in Christ. I know when we hear the word Pharisee, we, we, we think like religious troublemakers maybe, maybe even bad guys, but, but some of those Pharisees came to believe in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And, and I think that it's fully possible here that in, in what they're doing, as they're saying, no, they need to get circumcised, I think it's possible that their hearts, they actually had good intentions even though what they were pushing was false. So these men, these men stand up 
And they say, no, for, for a Gentile to be saved, they have to be circumcised. They have to keep the law. And what they're doing really is they're saying they have to become a proselyte. Right? If a Gentile wanted to join the Jewish religion, they, they needed to get circumcised. The men needed to get circumcised as an adult. Right? They were baptized. They, they, they needed to become Jewish in, in order to belong into, into uh, the people of Israel. And that was being imported into their Christianity. And we all know it, it, is, it is difficult, if not nearly impossible, to step out of what you've been immersed in your whole life. Right? It, it, it takes incredible, incredible recognition just to see what you've been in your whole life and how it might be different elsewhere. So we think about these Pharisees and, and how steeped they were in their training and their education just to become a Pharisee. They were immersed in Hebrew tradition and in the Mosaic law. Imagine the pride that they must have felt as being a part of God's chosen people. Right? And, and we can imagine all the rigors that they went through in their training, in their education. I'm sure there were times as, as they were studying under like one of their favorite Pharisees, they just marveled right, that, that this Pharisee was teaching them from the scriptures. They had this lifetime of participating in the customs of Israel. Right? Imagine the, the joy that they probably felt, I'm sure they felt, when, when their own baby boy on the eighth day was circumcised, or, or their friend's son, right? on, the, on the eighth day of his life when he was circumcised. Uh, they, they look back, I'm sure, with fond memories at becoming a son of the law at their own bar mitzvah. And then finally, one day, to have the robes of a Pharisee put on them, making them one of the leaders of Israel. That must have been a day of accomplishment, a day of great satisfaction. But then over time, in their ordered Pharisee life came the, the claims of Christ, which started this civil war in them. And then at some point, they gave themselves to Christ. They were born again. They had life in Christ, freed from sin. But there was a cost. Their relatives, their friends, their fellow Pharisees now considered them dead. And it's, it's hard for most of us to relate to that. Right? Most of us probably didn't lose friends or family. Maybe some of us did lose friends and family when we came to Christ. But that's what happened here. They gave themselves to Jesus and lost so much of what they had. And I'm sure even if they didn't lose that, it would be hard to just break away from their past as a Pharisee. Right? It is easy to see how uh, a former Pharisee with great intentions would, would, would put those traditions, those beliefs, those distinctions on Gentile Christians. Again, I, I don't think they were crying, trying to cause trouble. I, I, think, I think their hearts were probably pretty honorable in it, but they were off in their understanding of the gospel. Their understanding of the gospel was that it was faith that, yes, saved by grace, plus a couple more hoops that you needed to jump through. And we might have a hard time wrapping our minds around what they added, um, but, but we can certainly understand how easy it is to add to grace. If we're saved by grace alone, then we truly have nothing to do with our salvation besides believing. In our experience, we know that there is nothing that is free. 
right? There's always some sort of cost. I remember in college, I was hanging out at one of my friend's uh, houses, a bunch of us were together, and her roommate came in and just so excited and carrying boxes of cell phones, right? And this is back when I think I only had two friends that had cell phones then, and, and uh, my parents didn't have cell phones. I didn't know very many people at all with cell phones, so she's going crazy so that she's got these cell phones. But the really crazy part is they didn't make her sign up for a plan. They literally just gave her like five free cell phones. There was no strings attached. This company just gave them away. And it's not shocking that this company is out of business today. Uh, That model didn't work, right? When you get a free cell phone today, I hate to burst your bubble, it's not so free, right? They're getting you in one way or another. We're used to there being a catch, but here's what Paul says. He writes about salvation, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace, you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And, and that's, that's one of those passages. I'm like, if, if this wasn't written down in Scripture, I don't know if I could believe it. Like, how, how can it be that we do nothing to earn it or, or, or to contribute? Or how can it be that God just gives us salvation? And maybe some of us, you know, if we're honest, there's part of us that kind of likes grace plus. Yeah, we want grace, but we also want some control. We also want boxes that, that we can check off. We, we want to know how we're doing with God. And, and certainly coming to Christ changes how we live. And, and we'll get into so much of that next week, right? The, what we leave behind in Christ and our personal holiness and none of us get into God's family because of what we've done, right? None of us can save ourselves or even contribute to our salvation. And I know, um, I know some in, in our church, uh, you, you grew up or, or somewhere in your past uh, was, was a legalistic church. Uh, or or maybe, maybe your church wasn't legalistic, but maybe your family was really legalistic. And, and legalism is, uh, for those who don't know, legalism is, is trying to secure righteousness in God's sight by what you do, right? Through good works. So, uh, so the belief is that a person can earn or, or merit uh, salvation, right? By following God's law or by following whatever, whatever these religious rules are. And, and certainly throughout, uh, throughout churches in our country, right? We know of all kinds of rules that have been added. I'm pretty sure it was my great-grandma that in her church, they were not allowed to play cards, right? Like you, Christians could not do that. Uh, so her, her daughter, my grandma, Granny Goose, man, when she grew up, <laughs> she loved playing cards. We play every time we were with Granny Goose, we played a lot of cards. Or, or in another church, it could be something different, right? It's, it's how you dress, or, or maybe it's, um, it's how you're supposed to educate your kids or how you do your devotions or, or how much time you give or how much money you give. But, but even if you haven't been in a legalistic church uh, or, or family or, or friend group, um, we all know what it's like to think that, that we can earn God's favor. Right? We're really easily convinced that we're pretty good people. And we're quick to take credit for the good that we have done. 
And we're easily filled up with pride for how often we read our Bibles or, or how much we come to church or, or how much we, we participate in, in, in these different uh, church activities or how kind we are to people, even people that like, we don't even really like that much. And, and all of those behaviors um, are, are good, right? It's, it's really good. It's necessary uh, as Christians that we read our Bibles. It's, it's really good and it's critical to the life of a Christian that we belong to a church, right? And, and to be there even on the days when you don't want to be there. It's good to love people as Christ has loved us, but none of those things save you, right? None of those, none of those uh, as God looking down going, oh man, you see what he did? I want to save that guy. He's a good dude. No, no, God sees us like he saw Israel, helpless and a mess, dead in sin and desperate need of salvation. It's by grace. It's by grace that we're saved. God in his great love for people saves people that put their faith in him. So Peter stands up reminding them that in the early days of the church that God had chosen him to go be the mouthpiece, to go share the gospel with the Gentiles. Right? And, and there's no doubt that as readers, we're, we're supposed to flash back to chapter 10 of Acts and how God told this, this man named Cornelius, who Luke describes as a God-fearing man, he tells him, hey, there's a guy named Peter. He's staying with, with salmon, uh, salmon, Simon the Tanner by the Sea, which is also where salmon are. Um, that's my connection, maybe. Um, and and you, need to, you need to send some people to him because he's going to tell you words from me. He's going to tell you what I have for you. So while these men are being sent, Peter in that house, he's sitting on the roof. He has this vision. There are these ceremonially unclean animals that are lowered from heaven on this sheet. And, and he's told three times, he hears, uh, rise, kill, and, and eat. To which Peter responds, I've never eaten any unclean animal, right? He's steeped in this way of thinking. And God tells him, don't call something unclean that I have made clean. So he, the vision's done. He's, he's figuring this, this out. I'm sure he's thinking through scripture, right? And realizing that, okay, yeah, I've seen this throughout scripture, that, that the Gentiles will, will, come to know, uh, will come to know God, that they will be saved. Then the men sent by Cornelius come. They get Peter. They take him back um, to, tell, to tell Cornelius what, what God has to say. And Peter, he understands, right? He, he, he's getting it. He gets that the gospel is for the Gentiles too, right? This is by God's doing, that God would make them clean. So Peter shows up, and it's not just Cornelius. It's a house full of friends, of a family, and they respond to the gospel. And this is Peter's point here in verse 8. He says, and God who knows the heart bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them having cleansed their hearts by faith. So he, he points out, look, they received the Holy Spirit, right? Remember when that happened to us? It, it's the same. God has made no distinction. This is his main piece of evidence. God gave these non-Jews, right, who, who had not been circumcised. Some of them probably knew nothing about the law. Maybe, maybe others knew some about the law, but God gave them the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that he gave us, right? This tells us 
that God has accepted them, that there's no difference between Gentiles that come to faith who, who are not circumcised and Jews that are circumcised and law followers that come to faith because God cleanses by his grace through faith. Right? It is faith that God responds to. So he goes on to say in, in verse 10, why are you placing a, a yoke? And, and a yoke is uh, that, that wooden like bar that goes between the two oxen so they can plow together. He says, why do you want to put, put the law on these disciples like a yoke? Right? How did that work out for our fathers? How, how's that working out for you? Because I know, Peter's saying, I know it didn't work for me. I couldn't keep the law. I needed Jesus to fulfill the law because the law just showed me over and over again, I'm trapped in my sin. I'm dead in my sin. I need help. I can't do this. Romans 3, 19 and 20 says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. And then jump back into 1511 here in Acts. He goes on, he says, but we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. He's speaking to fellow Jews here and he says that, that we will be saved by grace just as they will. And I would think that he would have said that in the opposite order, right? That, that he would say they will be saved by grace just, just as we are, just as we will. But he's telling them, no, we need grace. Our Jewishness doesn't get us in. Our church attendance doesn't get us in. All the good things that we do, all however many rules we can follow, doesn't get us in. Peter's saying, I need grace. You need grace. That is what will save you, and that is what will save any Gentile that responds to in faith. And Peter's right. God clearly has saved Gentiles, and everyone knew it. Right? It was evidenced by God, giving the Spirit, just like he did with the Jewish believers. So his Jewish brothers and sisters needed grace to save them, and that, would, that is what would save anyone who would believe. And he's done speaking, and you could just hear a pin drop in the room. And I don't know that everyone's convinced at this point that Peter is right, but they didn't have an argument. So Paul and Barnabas get up, and they start telling more stories about Gentiles coming to faith. And I'm sure talking about the, the fruit in their lives. And then James stands up. And there, there are multiple Jameses in the Bible. This obviously isn't the one that uh, a few chapters ago was killed. This is James, half-brother of Jesus. He says in verse 15, And with uh, this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. So he's about to quote uh, from Amos uh, chapter 9, I believe, verses 11 and 12. But, but notice what he says here in verse 15. He says, the prophets agree, right? He, 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 he didn't, he, he's saying, I didn't just find some obscure little part in, in one of the prophets that, that supports our argument here. He's saying, he's saying no, no, everything that, 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 that Peter said, everything that Paul and, and, and Barnabas just said, the prophets, all the prophets agree with this. Verse 16, after this, this is God, after this I will return. I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, 
says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. So the, the prophets are, are, are calling God's people back to him. They, they serve as uh, like these uh, covenantal lawyers that, that build this case up against God's people, against their, their turning and their rebellion, and, and they're calling them to return to God. And here in Amos 9, God says, I will come for my people. Right? I, I'm going to rebuild the, the ruins of my people, this, this fallen tent of David, right? the, the temple. But, but the point is that, that he's going to rebuild and restore. He's going to make his people, right? this, this remnant of his people, they are going to be the temple. Right? And, 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 and then that, uh, that there are going to be people that return to him. And we, we've seen this in Acts, right? It starts with the 12 and the other disciples, and then, then 5,000 get saved in Jerusalem, right? It's this rebuilding of the ruins. But it spread even beyond that. More and more Jewish people were coming. And in this rebuilding, he's saying, man, lots of people are going to come to me, Jews, and there's going to be Gentiles that come to me, Gentiles called by my name. And this, this wording, we see it all over the, the Old Testament, right? This called by my name, it signifies ownership. Kind of like in Toy Story, you remember Woody, right? The, the bottom of his boot, what does it say? It says Andy, right? Because he belongs to Andy. And God's saying here, these are my people. These are people called by my name. These Gentiles are going to be a part of God's family too, right? Just like the Jewish people that turn to God through faith in Christ, they too will be saved, not by works, right? Not, not by checking off religious boxes, but by the grace of God. They'll belong as Gentiles. Not Gentiles who became Jews so they could belong. No, they, they'll belong as they are. And Peter saw this with Cornelius. Paul and Barnabas saw this on their missionary journey. We also notice here this, this purpose in the rebuilding from this quotation in Amos, right? It's so that others would come. Israel, God's people, were never to take the blessing of being God's people, of, of knowing God. They were never to take that and just hog it to themselves. They were always, since, since God met Abraham, it's been clear that they were blessed in order to bless the nations, Right, so that peoples from all over the globe would come to know the grace of God in Christ. Verse 19 and following, James says this. He says, therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God. Right, saying, stop causing trouble for these Gentiles. Verse 20, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he has read uh, every Sabbath in the synagogues. And you might be thinking like, wait, hold on. I, I was tracking. I thought it was by grace. And now James says, hey, here's a list of things that you should not do. We're going to get into that next week, right? The, 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 how it is that we're not saved by works, but, but this letter that they send off, it lists off all these things, and it says, you'll do well to keep yourself from these things. So you got to come back next week. But, but what do we do with, with what we've read so far? How do we apply this? Well, the first one is, is really, really obvious, um, but you don't have to become a Jew to be saved. And my guess is that most of us aren't Jewish. Uh, we don't have Jewish descent. Maybe, maybe some in the room do. But, but it's by God's grace that we've been grafted in, right, as, as non-Jews, as Gentiles, into God's family. 
So someone doesn't have to become an American, right, to become a Christian, or, or someone doesn't have to, to be from the Pacific Northwest to become a Christian, right? God has made salvation available to you by the death and resurrection of Jesus if you'll only believe in him. The second piece of application is don't add to the gospel, right? And, and this, is, this is a question we have to ask ourselves. Am I adding to grace in any way? Am I doing that for myself? Am I making my following of Jesus this, this checkbox list? Or am I doing that for others? Right? Am, I, am I preaching a gospel? Or am I imposing things on other believers that, that is adding to gospel of grace? And then lastly, um, if you've been saved, we're a part of that imagery um, that, that he quotes from Amos 9 there, that temple that God has been rebuilding, right? And God rebuilt that with the Jews, and, and Gentiles are getting saved. And, and if you are saved, you are one of those Gentiles that's added. But the whole point of this temple, right, is God's glory. It, it is that, that more and more people will come to know Jesus, that they will hear the good news, and we get to be a part of that. I'll close with this, Ephesians 2, 19 and 20. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you were fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Praise God. Will you pray with me? Lord, we, we thank you for salvation. We thank you, Jesus, that, that you came that you lived the, the sinless life, that you, that you uh, lived the, the ways that we cannot live, that you died a sinner's death on our behalf, that you rose from the dead, that, that you've ascended to be with the Father, and, and that, that, that it's by your grace through faith that we can be saved. God, we praise you for that today. And, and Lord, we, we do not want to hog this good news to ourselves. We don't just want to, to, to bury the, the, the blessing that you have given us. Lord, we want to share it with the world. God, would you help us to do that? Lord, would you help us to be a people that, that are just so excited about how you have saved us and are so ready to talk about your grace freely given, Lord? It's in your name we pray. Amen.